it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Tuesday, November 22nd, 2022. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Very glad to have you here. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's our time slot every weekday. If you can't listen as we air, we have a podcast. It is free. It is on demand after the show. GuyBensonShow.com. That is our website. Everything you need is right there. GuyBensonShow.com. Also for the podcast, you can go alternatively to FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm the political editor at townhall.com and a Fox News contributor, if you're new to the show, including perhaps some folks in our audience in Oklahoma City, KOKC, our new affiliate this week. We welcome them. Here's our lineup today. Dr. Nicole Sapphire will be here later on this hour talking about health-related things. It's been a while since we've had her here, but it's the holidays. I see some frantic-looking graphics on cable news about a triple-demic. What does that mean? We'll try to talk some sense with Dr. Sapphire. Molly Hemingway will also join us in our next hour. Looking forward to having Molly as usual. And then mark it down in our last hour, the happy hour, just after 5 p.m. Eastern time today. For the first time on this program, we welcome former Vice President Mike Pence, who is out with a new book, So Help Me God. We will ask him about that and politics and more in our one-on-one, which will last several segments We have a lot of time with the former vice president, and we are looking forward to that very much later in the show. As we begin today, there was a topic that I addressed yesterday. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to the free podcast from yesterday's show. It was in our middle hour. I also wrote about this at length at townhall.com. It's my reaction to the Colorado Springs mass shooting at a gay bar on Saturday night, just before midnight. Five people were murdered depending on what report you see, between 18 and 25 people were wounded. And I made a number of points yesterday on the show, including that it would appear that the alleged assailant should not have been free in the first place, given a bomb threat incident that he was arrested for and multiple charges were filed last year. And I guess all that just went away. He did not get scooped up in the red flag law. Nothing, evidently. And then he exploded in this violent killing spree at a gay bar this past weekend. So I asked questions about that. I talked about a number of different angles on this story. And I did mention that there was a hero, a couple, but one in particular who put an end to the bloodshed before it could get much worse and would have gotten probably much worse if not for this person. And I said on the air yesterday that we were likely to find out that person's identity very soon. We now have that person's identity. He is starting to give a few interviews. The New York Times has a story about this that I just want you to hear. This is one of the most riveting news accounts I've read in a while. Listen to the headline. Army veteran went into combat mode to disarm Club Q gunman. And the individual, the hero here, 
is someone that I think we should all be extremely proud of. And he was someone who might be a little bit unexpected in terms of his profile to be hanging out late on a Saturday night at a gay bar. But here he was, and this is the New York Times story. Dateline Colorado Springs. Richard Fierro was at a table in Club Q with his wife, daughter, and friends on Saturday watching a drag show when the sudden flash of gunfire ripped across the nightclub and instincts forged during four combat deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan instantly kicked in. Fight back, he told himself. Protect your people. In an interview at his house on Monday, where his wife and daughter were still recovering from injuries, Mr. Fierro, who's 45, who spent 15 years as an Army officer and left as a major in 2013, according to military records, described charging through the chaos at the club, tackling the gunman, and beating him bloody with the gunman's own gun. Quote, I don't know exactly what I did. I just went into combat mode, Mr. Fierro said, shaking his head as he stood in his driveway, an American flag hanging limp in the freezing air. Quote, I just know I have to kill this guy before he kills us. He saved a lot of lives, Mayor John Southers said of Mr. Fierro. The mayor said he had spoken to Mr. Fierro and was struck by his humility. Quote, I've never encountered a person who engaged in such heroic actions and was so humble about it. It was supposed to be a chill family night out. The combat veteran and his wife, Jess, joined by their daughter, Cassandra, her longtime boyfriend, Raymond Green Vance, and two family friends to watch one of his daughter's friends perform a drag act. It was Mr. Fierro's first time at a drag show, and he was digging it. He had spent 15 years in the Army and now relished his role as a civilian and a father, watching one of his daughter's old high school friends perform. Quote, these kids want to live that way, want to have a good time, have at it, he said, as he described the night. I'm happy about it because that is what I fought for, so they can do whatever the hell they want. I am just so struck by these quotes. And this man who ended up in this place on that night, never having gone to something like this before, with his whole family, with his wife, He was at the right place at the right time in a situation that was the wrong place in the wrong time for so many reasons. Lives were saved because of this man. God bless this man. And his military service and his humility, these are themes that I think really underscore why so many Americans have a deep, abiding love, affection, gratitude this Thanksgiving week toward our men and women in uniform and our veterans. The story goes on. Mr. Fierro was trying to get better at going out and having fun. In Iraq and Afghanistan, he'd been shot at, seen roadside bombs, shred trucks in his platoon, and lost friends. He was twice awarded the Bronze Star. The wars were both past and still present. There were things he would never forget. For a long time after coming home, crowds put him on edge. He couldn't help but be vigilant. In restaurants, he sat against the wall, facing the door. No matter how much he tried to relax, part of him was always ready for an attack, like an itch that could not be scratched. 
But that night at Club Q, he was not thinking of war at all. The women were dancing. He was joking with his friends. And then the shooting started. It was a staccato of flashes by the front door, the familiar sound of small arms fire. Mr. Fierro knew it too well. Without thinking, he, th- he hit the floor, pulling his friend down with him. Bullets sprayed across the bar, smashing bottles and glasses. People screamed. Mr. Fierro looked up and saw a figure as big as a bear, easily more than 300 pounds, wearing body armor and carrying a rifle. The shooter was moving through the bar toward a door leading to a patio where dozens of people had fled. And I'll just remind you, this giant guy, there's actually footage of him from his last arrest last year for this whole bomb threat situation that he was arrested for. This is a big guy, an evil, demented guy. Back to the time story. The long-suppressed instincts of a platoon leader surged back to life. He raced across the room, grabbed the gunman by a handle on the back of his body armor, pulled him to the floor, and jumped on top of him. The two men crashed to the floor. The gunman's military-style rifle clattered just out of reach. Mr. Fierro started to go for it, but then saw the gunman come up with a pistol in his other hand. I grabbed the gun out of his hand and just started hitting him in the head over and over, Mr. Fierro said. As he held the man down and slammed the pistol against the man's skull, Mr. Fierro started barking orders. He yelled for another club patron, using a string of expletives, to grab the rifle and told the patron to start kicking the gunman in the face. A drag dancer was passing by. Mr. Fierro said that he ordered her to stomp the attacker with her high heels. The whole time, Fierro said, he kept pummeling the shooter with the pistol while screaming obscenities. Just absolute visceral instinct. He saved the day and got people to help him, including a drag queen stomping this monster with high heels. There is not a shred or an ounce of compassion that I feel for this guy. He wanted to go in. And kill a bunch of people. Well, sadly, tragically, he succeeded to some extent. And then his spree didn't end the way I think he probably planned it to. Thanks to this person. And he's getting stomped on by a drag queen. Good riddance wherever he ends up. The New York Times asks this question. What allowed Mr. Fierro to throw aside all the fear and act? He said he has no idea. Probably those old instincts of war. When police arrived a few minutes later, the gunman was no longer struggling. Mr. Fierro said he feared he had killed him. He was covered in blood. So was presumably the shooter. And then he started to look around for his loved ones. The people that he had acted incredibly heroically to save. Just a chaotic scene. Eventually, the story says, he went to the hospital with his wife and daughter who had only minor injuries. His friends were there and are still there in much more serious condition. They were all alive, but his daughter's boyfriend was nowhere to be found. In the chaos, they had lost him. They drove back to the club searching for him. They circled familiar streets, hoping they would find him walking home, but there was nothing. 
The family got a call late Sunday from his mother. He had died in the shooting. This man's daughter's boyfriend died. When Mr. Fierro heard, he said, he held his daughter and they cried. He did so much to save so many people, but he couldn't save his own daughter's boyfriend. A straight guy who was just there with the family supporting his girlfriend's high school friend. And dad was there to have some fun too. Thank God he was there. Thank God he had the attitude that he did. Thank God he had the instincts that he did. Thank God he had the bravery that he did. Because that family man, that military veteran, made sure that there weren't even more grieving families that night in Colorado. The gratitude to this guy is off the charts, and it should be. And I've seen him on a few of the news channels. I think he was just on our air on on Fox News Channel a little while ago. He just looks like your average guy, white dude with a goatee, military background, maybe the type of person that we're told isn't so great in our society by certain people. Too much toxic masculinity there or whatever. Well, he was where he needed to be in that moment. What an awful, awful story. It makes me sick. It makes me sad. It makes me angry that someone would do this. But it does make me relieved and thankful that this man was there to put an end to this as soon as humanly possible. And that this alleged assailant got what was coming to him. Although justice has yet to be fully served. But at least in that moment, I wonder what he was thinking, getting beaten to a pulp by his own gun, by a military veteran while a drag queen stomped on him. Maybe that'll serve as a disincentive for other madmen who might be thinking about anything like this in the future. What a story in the New York Times with those details with a brutally unhappy ending. My hat is off to Richard Fierro. Maybe we'll get him on this show one day. Maybe I'll meet him one day, shake his hand, buy him a drink, whether it's at a drag show or anywhere else he wants. In horror, in terror, there are heroes. Richard Fierro is one of them. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Thank you for listening. I want to give you a quick update on the 2022 elections. Of course, we have the December 6th runoff in the Georgia Senate race. I saw a poll out today had Raphael Warnock slightly ahead down there in Georgia. But, of course, it just comes down to turnout. 
as it always does, but especially in a race like this. So it was margin of error. Then in the House, there's just a handful of uncalled races that haven't been called by anyone. It looks like the Democrat will likely hang on due to the system in Alaska, and Republicans need to get their act together. That is a seat that they should be able to win back. But for now, it looks like the Democrats likely to win there. Some of these other races in California, as I mentioned yesterday at some length, have been called by at least some outlets. And the Republicans are sitting on 221 seats, where the 222nd seat could be determined on whether or not and by whether or not a guy named John Duarte, a Republican in California 13, hangs on and wins in that district. Just a few hours ago, San Joaquin County added what looked like almost all of its remaining votes, so they're still counting, still counting ballots that have not been touched yet. Two weeks later, two weeks later, and in this new batch of just over 1,800 votes, it broke 50.35% to 49.65% for the Democrat in this race. But that only netted the Democrat 13 total votes, making right now the lead for the Republican 852. So Mr. Duarte, the Republican, is ahead by just over 850 votes. And according to some of the California political watchers out there, there's just a tiny fraction of votes still left out in that district. But there are enough still to be counted that they aren't comfortable declaring Duarte the winner. And, of course, it's extremely close anyway. I mean, a matter of hundreds of votes. But this is not like 200. This is 850. So we'll get a final answer from out there eventually. In California, 13. So far, so good for the Republicans, but it's not over yet. But if that seat does remain in the red column in terms of the advantage here, that will be 222 for the House Republicans. And just to beat this horse to death one more time, I saw an estimate late last night that California still has just over half a million votes left to count all in. Half a million votes left to count two weeks later. That is an absolute disgrace. What a pathetic, ridiculous system. It should change, but because it's California, it probably won't. But other states can do a lot better, too. The Guy Benson Show continues right after this. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast always free. With us now, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor, and best-selling author of Panic Attack, playing politics with science in the fight against COVID. Doctor, it is great to have you back. Happy almost Thanksgiving. Hi, Guy. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure 
I want to start with your reaction to this soundbite, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who we haven't actually talked about blessedly on this show for a while. He was at the White House today joining Corinne Jean-Pierre at the podium, answering questions about COVID and other health challenges, although they were not answering any questions about the origins of COVID. Someone tried to ask about that, and it got a little bit chaotic. They didn't want to talk about that. But heading into Thanksgiving and the holiday season, Dr. Fauci had some advice. Cut 20. First of all, everybody should be vaccinated and boosted with flu and with COVID. Whether or not you wear a mask or another thing we shouldn't underestimate is testing. So when we're gathering at a family gathering for Thanksgiving or for Christmas or for any other holiday as we get into the winter, it makes sense that you might want to get a test that day before you come into a place in which you might be infected and spread it or other people who might be there in order to protect. So there's masking is important, but you can count masking, vaccine, boosting, testing. Okay, so a lot of options there. I think Fauci brings out a lot of responses from a lot of people who are just tired of hearing from him. When you just listen to that, how much of that do you think, doctor, is good advice, you know, frivolous, unnecessary? What are you recommending for your friends and family this holiday season? I'm just curious how you're thinking about this. You know, it's interesting, guy. you know, listening to a lot of that press conference, we can dive into a lot of the things that they said. But, you know, he, he brought up an interesting point. Should you be testing before you go and you gather for Thanksgiving? And, well, if we had a blanket panel of respiratory viruses that we can test for, yeah, I mean, that seems, that seems pretty sim- simple and straightforward. Get everyone get a test. No one has anything you gather. But at this point, we really can only do this test for COVID when we have so many other respiratory viruses, influenza, RSV, rhinovirus, and so forth. And so by just having a negative COVID test, it's, it's pretty, it's a, you know, it's a false sense of security when you're gathering, when there's so many other things causing people to be sick right now. So my advice for people is if you're sick, you stay home. I know that we have been saying this for years now, but that's at, at the end of the day, that's what's important. If you have even the sniffles, you need to think of who you're going to be around. Are you going to be around a little young infant who, while it may be a cold in you, any of these viruses can severely affect, then you should probably stay away if you're sick. And that goes the same for very elderly, even if they're boosted times one, boosted times two, or even three. The elderly, doesn't matter how many times they're boosted, they're still at greatest risk for having a severe outcome from COVID. I've seen a graphic, and I mentioned this at the top of the show on a number of news channels today, sort of hyping this thing that they're calling triple-demic, which I try to do in my most dramatic voiceover voice. We've got a triple-demic, and I think they're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, COVID, flu, and RSV. I'm not trying to make light of any of those diseases or some of the problems that they might cause, especially for vulnerable populations. I also feel like we've had so much hyperventilating about dangers and disease and all of that that to have a term like that, it just seems a little bit sensationalist to me. What is the actual level of risk here without getting hyperbolic? Well, it is sensationalized, but because we've come out of COVID, and so they have to maintain this level of panic. 
that there people have been succumbed to the last couple of years. But so what is this triple demic? Well, first of all, we have flu and RSV season every single year. Every single year that I've been alive, my sister as an infant was hospitalized with RSV. My youngest son um, had RSV as a newborn. I mean, it's scary, but the, the, the reality is RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, it's not new, and any parent knows about it because when you have a young infant at home, you get worried about it in the winter months. What's a little bit different this year is that we're seeing a spike in the cases just a little earlier on. Why is that? We don't know. Maybe because, I don't know, we've kept these toddlers and infants away from other children, and so they haven't been exposed. By the age of five, nearly 100% of all kids have been exposed to RSV. So those who haven't been exposed at this point, they don't have any of that immunity that's helping. Going into the winter months, we always have to be mindful of the very young and the very old because they continue to be at greatest risk. So the best thing you can do is be as healthy as you can heading into the winter months. Um, you can consider getting your flu shot. You can consider getting your updated COVID booster. They, should, they can be risk-based. Um, but if, again, if you are sick, you really want to avoid those young children and older adults because this is a scary season for them always. Doctor, so I think you know and you've recalled because you and I have chatted about this offline and on air. I got my two COVID shots, and that's it. I didn't do any boosters. I've had COVID twice, almost exactly one year apart. Thank God neither one was terribly bad or or painful. It was just sort of like, you know, a mid-level cold for me. I know it's varied for other people. It's been a lot worse for some people or really undetectable for others. Flu shot is one that I always sort of wrestle with. I don't have this big agonizing decision. Am I going to do it or not? There's just some years where I happen to see a sign that says free flu shots and I happen to be there and it's convenient and I get it. Other years, it just doesn't happen. This year I went in and I was at a grocery store and they had free flu shots. So I went over to get one. They said, oh, sorry, you know, we're technically not taking walk-ins right now. So I didn't do it. Is this something that I ought to do? How useful is the flu shot? I know it can vary from year to year. And does it provide any other protection against some of this other stuff, or is it just the current strain of influenza? Well, the flu shot is usually made up of several strains. They try and because it's, it's a best guesstimate when they're coming up with the flu shot each year. They look at what's circulating in the southern hemisphere and they do a compilation targeting some of the most common strains that they're anticipating is going to come. Um, right now, what we're seeing about 20% of the influenza viruses are being sequenced to the H3N2, which unfortunately tends to be a more severe flu, but also the flu shot doesn't work as well against that. So that's always a little concerning, especially for younger children heading into the flu season. But when you're considering, considering the flu shot, at the end of the day, of course, it varies by year. The flu shots are about 40 to 60% able to either prevent infection as a whole, or if you do get the flu, it also is associated with a decreased risk of hospitalization if you get the flu. Now, similar to how we talk about COVID, when you look at who is being hospitalized with the flu, again, it's not really all comers. It's not, you know, one size fits all, but it tends to be children under the age of five and adults over the age of 65. So if you're someone who's on the fence, you know, getting a flu shot, there's, there, there definitely could be some benefit to you. But for those who are higher risk, under five and over 65, I absolutely encourage people to get it. Do you think it's given my two shots for COVID and the two bouts of COVID 
you know, as Fauci saying, everyone should be, you know, boosted and up to date on all the boosters. Am I being reckless in not going down that path? You know, I think it's very, you know, disgenuous when we were listening to Dr. Fauci and Jaw just earlier today saying that just every COVID death could be prevented if people would just go out and get this Omicron booster and that you shouldn't listen to random people on Twitter and only the respectable physicians are the ones who are telling you you have to go and get all of these boosters. I mean, I found I personally found that offensive. Um, But, you know, when you look at what is going on right now, this updated Omicron booster, it will it can absolutely give you a boost in your antibodies. And that may help you get through the next couple of months. It may even prevent you from getting infected. We know it's not 100 percent, but it does lessen your risk of getting infected. And if you do get COVID, if it could decrease your risk of a severe outcome. But it's really talking about risk benefit at this point. So you're someone who's fully vaccinated, you've had COVID. So in, in that sense, it's like acted as a booster. Your risk of a severe outcome from COVID is extremely, extremely low. Now, if you go and get the Omicron booster, will that decrease it even more? Maybe. I don't have data to prove that, but maybe. Um, the people who absolutely unequivocally should be getting an updated Omicron booster are, again, those over the age of 65 um, and in anyone who has like a neurological condition or immunocompromised condition, because as we know, the protectiveness against the vaccines and boosters wane even faster in them. Dr. Sapphire, something that we're doing this week, because Thanksgiving, my personal favorite holiday, is just two days away, is we're asking a lot of our guests just about their gratitude and things that they are thankful for as we head into that very American holiday. And I know there's a lot of broad stuff you might be thankful for, and feel free to answer the question however you want. I'm just wondering, is there anything kind of specific to this past year that you are particularly thankful for on your end? You know, from a personal level, of course, I'm thankful for my family and my friends and our health. But I can tell you from a larger scale, I am thankful that while there are still some holdouts, it does seem as a whole that we as a country are finally moving past this pandemic. It doesn't mean that people aren't still getting infected with COVID or that there isn't still about 300 people a day dying of COVID. But we as a whole are starting our process of recovery, recovering from the learning loss, from the socialization loss, and from all of the other consequences of the pandemic. And we're finally able to talk about it because two years ago, Guy, I wasn't able to say kids can't be kept home from school and so forth and some of the other things because we were heavily censored and we were criticized um, and demonized. And so finally, people are slowly but surely coming around and acknowledging that damage was done by human choice. And we can all come together as communities to try and fix some of that damage. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, senior Fox News medical contributor, Best-selling author of the book, Panic Attack. Doctor it's, uh, Doctor, it's always great to talk to you. Hope to see you very soon. Have a great Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to your whole family, your husband, your kids. And I look forward to our next chat. You as well, Guy. Happy Thanksgiving. With that, we will step aside. When we come back, I want to just offer a few thoughts, and then I'm going to ask a very similar question to all of you. Jot down our toll-free number, 833 1300. That's our connection here to The Guy Benson Show, 833-456-1300. We'll set up hopefully some really interesting calls, 
and reestablish a Guy uh, Guy Benson Show tradition right after this break. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Back here on the Guy Benson Show, we mentioned right around this time yesterday, I think maybe it was in the next segment, just a little bit about the World Cup. I am not a soccer person. Just putting that out there, as I think I made clear yesterday. Definitely rooting for Team USA, of course, and uh, didn't go so well yesterday. They were heavily, heavily favored against Wales, and then they tied. One to one. And I guess my understanding, having now watched like you know a little bit of highlights and that kind of thing, was that they had lots of big chances, especially early, that they didn't convert into goals. And then they let this, like this country's like one three hundredth the size of ours, let them hang around and they tied it. And it's like okay, and that's uphill battle now. They have to play England next, a soccer crazy country, unlike ours, for the most part. So just a letdown for people here who actually care about it. And I hope that USA can maybe now pull off the upset against England. I guess we'll see. We've done it before. Not in soccer, but it's a good old Revolutionary War joke. But an actual huge soccer upset happened earlier. Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia. Wow. Even I know that that's a big upset. I was born in Saudi, as it happens. So I say Mabruk to the fans of the Saudi national team in their huge 2-1 to upset victory over Argentina. I can only imagine the recriminations and the anger down there. Because they're like a blue blood country, you know, among international soccer programs. Dan, would you say Saudi Arabia beating Argentina is like one of the bigger soccer upsets ever? Yeah, in recent memory for sure. It's kind of like a triple-A team beating the Yankees in their prime. You know, something like that. That's a big, big deal. So now we will continue, at least on my end, to very, very loosely follow the World Cup. And if I have any questions, we can go to Dan for more details. In the meantime, something that we have been doing these last couple shows is asking a lot of our guests what they're thankful for this year. And if you are a longtime and long-term listener to this show, first of all, thank you. If you're newer to the show, thank you as well. We love to grow together. But we have a tradition right before Thanksgiving, and this is my last new show. We've got some great best ofs and specials later on in the week and a guest host tomorrow. But for me, this is my last new show before what you all now know is my favorite holiday because I won't shut up about how it's my favorite holiday. Although I love Christmas, I like Thanksgiving because Christmas is next. In any case... The tradition that we have here is that we open up the phone lines to you. And the question is very simple. In this last calendar year, what is the one thing you are most thankful for? Our phone number is 833-456-1300. And you can answer this really however you want. You can make it very general and broad. For example, some of our guests and politicians this week on the show have talked about being thankful to be an American and all of that, and I totally agree. Some people, when we've done this in the past, have very specific things that have happened in their lives that they're thankful for. So I'm asking for sort of 
a focus on the last calendar year. Since we did this last time a year ago, what are you most thankful for? Part of the reason that I like Thanksgiving as much as I do and really love it as much as I do is not just the food, not just the football and the family and the friends and the autumnal weather and, and all of it. I Believe me, I love all of that. But the actual root of the holiday is gratitude. That's what it's about. Gratitude. We have a tradition in my family at Thanksgiving dinner where we have little kernels of corn, un- uncooked raw kernels of corn, three of them on each place setting. And we go around the table during dinner and we each name three different things that we are thankful for. I think it is a beautiful tradition. I love doing it. Feel free to steal it for your family. It's cute. It's a little waspy, but it's fine. Take it. You have my permission. I'm not asking for three here. I'm asking for one. As we give thanks as a country, as we give thanks on this show, as we give thanks with our friends and families over the next couple days, especially on Thursday, it's not just a vague thing. Gratitude, I think, is a very important thing in life. Being thankful for specific things and saying them, I think, is a really healthy, sometimes cathartic thing. And so whatever your answer is, I'm all ears. What are you most thankful for this year? 833-456-1300, toll free. Give us a call. Let us know where you're calling from. And share with our audience what you are specifically most thankful for this year. 833-456-1300. Christine, how would you answer this question? Oh, my goodness. Well, a year ago, I was living a pretty different life, you know, just being in a home. And then we sold it. So I have to say, I'm going to go with I'm really grateful for Bobby because he really goes with the flow. On all my Your crazy husband. ideas. Yep. <laughs> that is true. That's a good answer. See, that's that's a perfect answer from Christine. What is your answer? 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. What are you thankful for? Tell us. We'll take your calls when we come back. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It is a new hour here on the Guy Benson Show, our second of three, between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday. I'm Guy Benson. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Everything you need is right there related to the program. You can also get our free podcast every day on demand, no charge, right there, GuyBensonShow.com or FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on social media at GuyBensonShow on both Twitter and Instagram. And tune in if you can or set your DVRs tonight. I'll be on the special report panel with Brett Baer and that whole crew around quarter to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. That's on Fox News Channel. I'm also scheduled to be on America's Newsroom tomorrow morning on the News Channel as well. Fox News alert as we get going here in the middle hour. The Dow surging big time today, up almost 400 points, 397 points in the green. The Dow closing today at 34,098, so back over 34,000 for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Well, right before we went to break last hour, I gave out our phone number, 
And I see your calls are coming in here at the Guy Benson Show. Our toll-free number is 833-456-1300. And we have a tradition here at the show that we do on Thanksgiving week. Done it for a couple of years, and I find it really enjoyable. I find it edifying. I find it sometimes moving and uplifting. And the question that I ask to this audience, this great audience all across the country, what is it that you are most thankful for this year? And Thanksgiving to me is not just all the traditions, but it's also the root of the holiday, what it's all about, which is gratitude and Thanksgiving, giving thanks. And I like to use this platform to amplify the thanks that many of you have, the things that you are grateful for in your lives. And I'm hoping that you are willing to share, at least some of you, what you are thankful for, most thankful for this year. So write it down, 833-456-1300, 833-456-1300. What are you thankful for, most thankful for? Let's take your calls. Let's start in North Dakota. Carl is on the line. Carl, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Appreciate you. Really appreciate it. All right, so give it to us. What are you most thankful for this year, Carl? Well, besides my family, of course, my friends and things like that, I'm actually thankful for my employer. Um, I broke my leg slash ankle at work and uh, on Easter, <laughs> Easter Sunday, and they have taken care of me the whole way. I just went to work last week. And everything has been great, and they have been awesome. So I'm glad that I have an employer that actually cares about their employees. Can I ask you, if you're comfortable, who your employer is? I will tell you. Uh, Marathon Petroleum. Okay, very cool. You know what you should really do, Carl? You should clip, maybe go back and find a way to record part of this podcast when it comes out later. And you should clip this and send it to your boss. <laughs> I think it probably would feel good to them. It also uh, might be kind of cool for you as well. But that's great. Hurt on the job, that's not great. That sucks. But for them to stand by you and help you with all the medical stuff, that is a, not a small thing at all. And I think that's a cool thing that they did for you, Carl, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening out there in North Dakota. Stay safe next year so when you call back next time, it'll be maybe uh, on something happier. But that's that's a great answer. Thank you, Carl. Good call. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. What are you most thankful for this year? Let's go to Georgia. Cameron is up on the Guy Benson Show. Hi, Cameron. Hey, good, good afternoon. Hi. So um, I think this year, as I'm traveling to my mom and dad, um, they live in a small town called Valdelia, Georgia, um, which is home of the Valdelia Sweet Onions. It's a bunch of farmland, not a major city at all. Um, as I travel that way, I go through Fort Stewart, um, and it's our Army base that's near our area. And, and I just want to say how thankful I am for the young women and the men that are currently out there fighting for our country so that we have the opportunity to enjoy this holiday with our families and just be able to give thanks to them for all they do for us. I think it is hard to argue with a single word of that answer, and it can apply this year and every year. But you're right. It's important to say it. I'm glad you did. 
Safe drive, Cameron. Be safe. Best to your parents. We appreciate it. 833-456-1300. Let's stick with Georgia and go to Jeff, who's also in the Peach State. Jeff, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Hey, Guy. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Good. good. Happy Thanksgiving to you. This year, I'm thankful for my father. Earlier this year, he was diagnosed with lymphoma, and he's beaten it. He is uh, on the right track. So this year's Thanksgiving is going to be extra special. Wow. That is very cool. How old is your dad? He is 70. That's a, a big thing to overcome for anyone. How's that process been for your family? I'd imagine, you know, the initial news has to be tough. And then to get that, that diagnosis of the word back from the doctors that he beat it, what an incredible feeling that must be. Oh, my gosh. It was fantastic. It was tears of joy across the board for everybody. We're a little spread out with our family, and we're all coming together to celebrate this year. I'm hosting everyone at my house. Um, and funny story, I'm actually the uh, the Jeff Clark. I won the 10,000th follower for your show. So very nice oh, to hey. talk to you. Oh, very cool. Well, I, Christine, Christine is probably freaking out right now because I know you guys then had an exchange on Twitter. So we appreciate that, Jeff. What a wonderful story about your father. Please give him our best. Have a great time hosting Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you soon. One of our Twitter followers, a good opportunity to plug the Twitter feed here at the show, at Guy Benson Show. Thank you, Jeff. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. I just got a text message from Christine. Oh, my God. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> Let's go to Brian in Florida on the Guy Benson Show. Happy Thanksgiving, Brian. Thanks for calling. Hey, Guy. Uh, I enjoy your show. I listen to it every day uh, after Thank you. work and my drive home. Hey, I'm, I'm really thankful. I'm, I'm a retired uh, Green Beret. Uh, I was oh. deployed several times over my career during Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I'm just thankful that I can spend it with my family and friends during this great part of the season. Well, first of all, let me come right back at you, speaking of thankfulness, and thank you for your service to this country. Anyone who puts on the uniform is owed a debt of gratitude by all of us that you guys help protect. The Green Berets in particular are not to be trifled with. That is a very badass group of uh, men and, and women. Can you, if you're comfortable, tell us where you served and, and where you spent some of those Thanksgivings abroad? Yeah, I was in... Um in Afghanistan and Kabul uh, for most of my time away from during the holiday season. So it's, it's nice to uh, reflect back on that, uh, you know, some of the uh, good and bad times, but it's, I'm really thankful to be home. I, I work, I still work and, uh, but it's really nice to be home and be with the family and friends. And I always reflect on that time away. I can only imagine how thrilling it must be to be home and being with the people that you really went over there for, right? And and to come back here and to have that opportunity, we are just so glad that you are home, that you are safe. Thank you again so much for your service, Brian, down there in Florida. Have a great Thanksgiving with your family, and we really appreciate your service to the country and your call here today. Thank you, Brian. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. That's your connection here to The Guy Benson Show. The question, very straightforward, what are you most thankful for this year? William calling from Pennsylvania up next in the queue. William, glad you called. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Of course. 
So I just want to get it out there. I'm most thankful for the military. I'm ex-military, and I know these family, it's very tight family with your service members as your brothers and sisters. So I'm thankful that those men and women that are serving cannot be home for Thanksgiving, and I'm appreciative of them and the first responders. What branch are you associated with? I was Army Rangers. Army Rangers. Whoa, wow, we've got we've got some uh, pretty intense people listening in this audience and some very impressive roles, including William. William, I really appreciate the call. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your service as well. It means so much. And have a great Thanksgiving, okay? 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. What are you most thankful for as we approach Thanksgiving 2022? It can be anything. It's a very personal question. Broad, specific. You can interpret this however you want. But we're doing gratitude segments here with your phone calls. 833-456-1300. Cheryl is on the line from Connecticut. Cheryl, hello. Hi, Guy. How are you? Very well. Thank you. I am grateful for all the healthcare workers that work in convalescent homes and take care of our elderly parents that we cannot take care of. Because without them, I don't know what we would do. I think that is a really good point to make because I think a lot of folks really take for granted many people who work jobs that are difficult and are not glamorous but are absolutely deeply intensely important and personal to so many people and specifically the realm that you're talking about uh, is it's absolutely right. I remember my grandparents on my mother's side spent some time in that kind of a community and it takes a lot of patience and loving and caring for people who aren't your flesh and blood. And uh, we lost them years ago. But now that you've mentioned this, it sort of st- <clears throat> stirred that memory, Cheryl. And so I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned it. Thank you for your phone call. Thank you for listening out there in Connecticut. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Going to get to as many of your calls as we can. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get to a few more of these calls. What are you thankful for, most thankful for this year as we head into Thanksgiving 2022? 833-456-1300 on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. Thank you for listening. Still to come later this hour, Molly Hemingway will join us. In the next hour, much of the next hour, our final hour, will be consumed with our interview one-on-one with former Vice President Mike Pence. He's got a book out that he is promoting. People are also asking questions about 2024 and beyond. I'm sure we'll get into that. His book is So Help Me God. The former Vice President is here coming up in the next hour. 833-456-1300. That's our phone number here at the show. 833-456-1300. Every year around Thanksgiving, we have a tradition here where we ask all of you what you are most thankful for heading into Thanksgiving. And we open up the phone lines and we take your calls and we often get a very cool variety and outpouring of gratitude, which I think is just great. It inspires me. It helps me really get in the mood, not that I need to get much help in that department for Thanksgiving, but I think it's a good thing. 
and I want to get back to your phone calls. 833-456-1300. Question on the table. What are you most thankful for this year and why? Right, you can sort of take that as you want to take it. Let's go back to the state of Georgia where we are very busy today. Jason is calling from Georgia. Hi, Jason. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, guy. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for special education teachers who, for little fanfare and little pay, love on kids every day. That's awesome. That's absolutely true. Do you have a special ed teacher in your life, or are you thinking of someone specific here or just more generally? Yeah, all my coworkers who are special education teachers, I'm a career changer. I spent over 20 years in corporate insurance and went into teaching, and, and I just see how much they give of themselves every day, uh, and it's amazing to see. What do you teach now? I'm actually a special education teacher in a middle school. Oh, that's awesome. So you, you were sort of in corporate America, did that for a while, and then you made this shift, and you're dealing with kids. Yeah. How old are these kids that you work with? Uh, 13, 14 years old. Yeah, I mean, that's a challenging age for anyone, you know, let alone people who have special needs. So uh, God bless you for what you're doing and your colleagues that you've been learning from, it sounds like. Uh, that takes a very special type of person, and we need those types of people out there, and uh, you're one of them. Jason, thank you for that phone call. Thank you for what you do, and uh, thank you for this contribution to the, to the conversation we're having. Jason in Georgia on The Guy Benson Show, 833-456-1300, 833-456-1300. Toll-free, your connection here at the show as we are doing our thankfulness segment ahead of Thanksgiving, our tradition here at the program. Let's see. Lise is in Connecticut. Lise, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for calling. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too. Um, All right. So what, what are you is, thankful for? I am so thankful. Um, for the past four or five years, I've ended up, um, I have an illness called NASH, non-alcohol-related cirrhosis, no hepatitis, nothing like that, caused by my diet growing up. And um, I've been in the hospital more than I've been out. I haven't really gotten out in the last couple of years. Um, I ended up six weeks ago um, in the hospital um, with um, um, congestive heart failure. My spleen was dying, which meant that there was a um, a blood clot somewhere, um, and I could barely walk. Um, and so, so many people have been praying for me over the past years. I always put it out on my Facebook page, and the day before I had a, the procedure that had to be done, they did more um, work, blood work, all that kind of stuff. My, I was no longer in congestive heart failure. My spleen had healed itself, um, and there were no blood clots out of five different ultrasounds. And... Um, Wow. I'm just, it, after all this time, it feels really weird driving a car, getting out, doing everything I always wanted to do. And I'm just, like, so grateful. And I love listening to you guys. You brought me through some really hard days. Wow. Well, Lisa, I don't know what to say aside from thank you, first of all, for listening. Uh, we're so glad that. 
we're out here doing our job, and that can be some sort of a blessing to you uh, through some real struggles, it sounds like. And I'm so glad that you have people in your life praying for you and that it seems like some of those prayers at least have been answered and that you're able to be out there living your life in a way that hasn't always been the case for you. And some of those really scary-sounding challenges or conditions have have cleared up at least to some extent. And uh, I can hear the emotion in your voice, Lise, and I can— at least empathize why and what a beautiful note to end on in terms of this this gratitude segment here with our callers lease in connecticut thank you thank you for that phone call and uh, please keep listening and i'm so glad that you're feeling better and keep at it have a great thanksgiving everyone oh what a great feeling molly hemingway up next back to politics on the guy benson show You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. And we're back here on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday. Podcast is free on demand. GuyBensonShow.com. We're at the halfway point of today's broadcast. And with us now is Molly Hemingway, editor-in-chief at The Federalist, Fox News contributor, author of Rigged. You can follow her on Twitter at MZ Hemingway, as I do. Molly, great to talk to you again. Great to be here with you. How many mainstream media outlets now have issued breathless reports that at long last they have authenticated the Hunter Biden laptop? I feel like this is maybe round six or seven of this. Now we're getting from CBS News. Yeah, we're, we're getting up there most recently with CBS News. Of course, there were media outlets, including various people at Fox News who had verified aspects of the laptop prior to the 2020 election. The idea that it takes two years to get to this point is ludicrous, um, but the damage was done, claiming that it was Russian disinformation at the height of the 2020 election was what was needed to be done, and so it's a very, very late move for all of these people. You know, I was on Brett Bayer's panel a number of weeks ago now. I'm on tonight again, but we were in the green room getting ready my fellow panelists and I, and we saw on the screen as we were watching the show some fairly tense body language. So we turned up the volume, and Brett was asking one of the signatories who was here talking about Ukraine or something else. He had signed his name to that famous Russian disinformation letter, and he was trying to look back and sort of retroactively parse out specifically what they said and what they didn't say. And if you really read the words themselves, they didn't come out fully and assert something. It just had the hallmarks. It kind of seemed like an after-the-fact spin job. But, Molly, you had dozens of intelligence analysts and professionals retired put their reputations on the line by going along with and adding credibility to a piece of political spin from the Biden administration that was being lapped up eagerly by the news media and by social media companies and all of that. These guys and gals came in and said, oh, yes, this looks like Russian disinformation to us. Has there been any accountability for how wrong they were about that and whether they should be trusted in the future in terms of either being political hacks now or being bad when it comes to analyzing intelligence? 
We have not seen retractions by these media outlets that had put forth this false claim of Russian disinformation. We have not seen people apologize for taking part in what was clearly a disinformation operation uh, that didn't even ever really make sense that this laptop with, you know, hundreds of selfies was a Russian disinformation plot. Right. They were doing the disinformation. I think that's such an important point to underscore. They were the ones peddling disinformation while claiming that they were blowing the whistle on disinformation, which is quite a trick. Well, and it has consequences. I mean, we are now in a proxy war with Russia after the guy who won, Joe Biden, in a presidential debate, put forth this false claim, you know, citing these intelligence sources, which has got to affect the relationship, you know, that people have, the trust that people have. Um, It was a very dangerous game to play. It was the same game they've been playing for years. And it can have, like, actual global consequences, not just a little thing. And these same people who did this are the ones who are, you know, the media outlets and the other people pushing this disinformation are the ones who claim that they're going to determine what is and what is not disinformation. You know, this is a very dangerous moment that we're in. And, um, and yeah, no, but I, I think maybe someone apologized for it. I can't remember. But certainly not all 50, not 49 of the 50. That was a very famous example of misinformation slash disinformation that turned out not to be. Another one was on the origins of COVID. That was something that we weren't allowed to talk about until all of a sudden that we were. And those are just the really big earth-shattering ones. There are lots of other smaller examples that have come along. I do want to ask you sort of relatedly on this. Did you see – have you been following – my guess is probably yes, given that you wrote a book about the Supreme Court and the Kavanaugh confirmation. But this rumor that went around that some crank had claimed that Sam Alito, Justice Alito himself, might have leaked the Dobbs decision and it said that he had told other people about decisions in the past. And it kind of made the rounds on social media, journalists sharing it credulously. I read the Politico story that said they had spent quite a lot of time trying to verify any of these claims and had found no evidence at all. And yet now this is out there in the bloodstream as sort of like a media rubber stamped possible just asking questions type thing about Alito having been the Dobbs leaker or at least someone close to him. I don't know who did it. I wish we would get that answer. But this seemed like the type of thing that people wanted to believe and then it became sort of a thing even as they were – also telling us in the fine print that there was no evidence. It's really remarkable. And at the time that these decisions came out, because it was Hobby Lobby and Conestoga, they kind of came out at the same time. I actually knew some of the people who were working on the people who uh, working on communications for the people who had brought the cases. And so I, I touched base with them after this story came out. They didn't know what the outcome of the decision was. They did not recall who this person was who was claiming to have gotten advance notice. They didn't know who it was. Um, It was a really weird story. But again, we see all the time with the Supreme Court these very high-level efforts to influence judges or to smear justices, you know, these – these operations. So it's it's very interesting, but it does speak to the need for Justice Roberts, I think, to release whatever he has found about the nature of that leak. That uh, really is inexcusable that it's gone on this long. And there's also been this concerted effort to delegitimize the court and to demonize the conservative justices. 
And whenever we get hand-wringing about institutions and norms and whenever we get hand-wringing about political violence and rhetoric, it just seems like those facts that I just mentioned go unmentioned in almost all of the quarters that want people to take them seriously. And we're talking about a situation this year where we've had assassination attempts against conservative justices. These these justices have had their houses besieged. Uh, it's a very fraught situation. And yes, all the operations seem to go against them. Yep. And it's just something that we will continue to point out here. Molly, taking a step back, because some of these little skirmishes that we've already discussed in these minutes we've had together have played out, as they so often do, on Twitter. And I want to talk about Twitter because the absolute meltdown among a certain breed of journalist and journo class denizen has been absolutely remarkable ever since Elon Musk officially took over the company and especially since he reinstated former President Trump. They're trying to create their own little left-wing versions of Twitter where they don't have any pushback, and it looks like it's already completely spiraling with people getting blocked and suspended for ludicrous reasons uh, in their their little spin-off tribal platform that they've created. I'm just wondering how you feel about what we are watching, because it it seems on some level extremely revealing and just confirming a lot of the things people like you and I kind of believe about these folks. But it's been remarkable. I I do like Twitter, even though I'm kind of anti-social media. Um, And for years, when people would complain about deplatforming or censorship, you'd have all these people say, they're a private company. You should just build your own Twitter if you don't complain. And now that Elon Musk has purchased this and made, actually, oddly enough, not very many changes other than apparently firing three-quarters of the staff. But everything seems to be kind of operating the same, except he's bringing back some people who had been unfairly deplatformed. And the left is freaking out. Nobody, None of them are saying, we're going to build our own Twitter. Uh, they're very demanding about what should be happening. But it's really an important moment because – and I feel like you've spoken so much about this guy – Like, our moves have been against free speech for so long. This is the first major move I've seen where you're actually having a brave person kind of push back against that direction we've been going uh, and really opening up speech and opening up debate and really advocating for freedom. Yeah, and one of the examples, you said, yeah, make your own Twitter. And then conservatives did. There was Parler and some of these other platforms, and they've been – successful or unsuccessful to varying degrees, but they aren't quite Twitter. And I think the left and especially the journalist class felt like, okay, this is our place. This is what we do. This is where we rule the roost. And now they're splitting off. I think there's something called Mastodon or something like that, where I'm watching some of those battles play out. The media, of course, covering themselves. They love to cover themselves. It's one of their favorite pastimes. And you have people sharing, for example, on that alternate tribal left-wing Twitter New York Times articles about trans children, for example, or allegedly trans children and what is or is not a good idea in terms of changing those kids or, you know, giving them certain drugs or certain procedures. And that resulted in a huge blow up resulting further in multiple suspensions of these people. It just doesn't seem like it's going very well for them over there in their alternate universe that they feel like is better. 
it seems like it's going horribly. I also saw one of the administrators <laughs> of the site complaining about how many people were were complaining about other people, how they were trying to get them deplatformed or blocked. He was explaining that they can mute or block on their own, which has always been a feature of Twitter and why it's always been stupid that people have complained or tried to kick people off. You can curate your own experience. If someone's a problem, you can block them so you never have to see them ever again. But we live in a time when people think that just the existence of alternate ways of thinking or ways to debate things is untenable, and so they have to punish these people. Um, And it's all great, though. Like, I think it all speaks to, you know, not having to go to your own little echo chamber, but when we can all be together and debate, it's actually a wonderful thing, and we should be much more open to it. Except they don't really seem to like that or believe that or want that, and they're the journalists, right? They're the First Amendment people who beat their chests about the First Amendment all the time or the value of free speech, but I think in a lot of cases they really don't believe that at all. There have been some sort of delicious little exchanges happening because of all this infighting. I don't know if you saw Nate Silver from 538 just absolutely decleting Ben Collins, that guy from NBC who calls himself a misinformation reporter but in fact is a font of misinformation and ideological bigotry. They got into it. I mean, it seems like the right is very much having a bit of a circular firing squad these days, but so is the hyper-online left, and I'm sort of here for it. I'm enjoying it. And at least on Twitter, it's funny because I I follow a wide variety of people. The people I follow on the left really are sad about Elon buying it and all threatening to leave. And then the people on the right are just making silly jokes and having a blast. It's very much like a party atmosphere on the right um, versus what you're seeing happen with these journalists who really got drunk on power of being able to bully people off of the Internet or ask the powers that be at Twitter to deplatform their ideological opponents. They really got into that. They don't believe in free speech. They believe in controlling people's speech. And not being able to do that as easily now at Twitter is really knocking them for a loop. Well, and they are so self-righteous, and they are so self-important, taking themselves so very seriously, and they're just a drag, Molly. That's the other thing. Ultimately, part of the reason why I think the left is not more broadly successful is because so many of the enforcers of their tribe's ideology are just very annoying, unpleasant people. They do have this means of being very demoralized. of being very moralizing. They like to tell people what to think. They like to tell people what to do. And for so much of our lives, I feel like that was kind of the reputation of people on the right. And now it's fully moved over to the left. On the other hand, they're very good at wielding power. They wield power through social media, um, teams of, of uh, content moderation or other means. And they have been able to have quite the impact on our society. And I would argue not for the better. Yeah, and they do not take any challenges or setbacks when it comes to their power very well at all. It's a very dysfunctional, unhealthy way that they respond to any perceived or impending or actual threat to their grip on power. And they just have these sort of tantrums that we see, and often they play out in full view of all of us. And it's quite a thing to watch. Molly, last question. We've got Thanksgiving the day after tomorrow. It's my favorite holiday. I've been asking a lot of our guests this week what they are specifically thankful for this year, and I'm wondering what your answer is. You know, this year has been rough. The last couple of years have been rough in so many ways, but 
I am just so thankful to live in this country. I'm thankful for my freedom. I'm thankful for my wonderful friends and family. Sorry, you said one thing. I'm thankful. I just, <laughs> I think, I cannot believe how blessed we are as a people, and we don't deserve it, and it's just been wonderful. Molly, I basically asked you what is your favorite single Thanksgiving side, and you just said, well, sweet oh. potatoes and mashed potatoes and green beans and the salad and the bread, but it's fair enough. The whole buffet of gratitude, I think, is something that we should talk about around Thanksgiving. And I know that we both have a lot to be thankful for. We always appreciate having you here. We are thankful for your friendship, your time on this program, and we look forward to having you back, hopefully, many, many times in the future. Thank you, guys. Molly Hemingway, our guest. Happy Thanksgiving, Molly. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We're back here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for listening. One thing that I've been telling you about and warning you about is the phenomenon of supposedly principled conservatives who are anti-Trump, who actually got very deeply involved in the anti-Trump grift and effectively became liberal Democrats in the last six years, rooting, interestingly, for Trump against Ron DeSantis, if that ends up being a primary battle. And I was just waiting for a bunch of pieces to start coming out about how Ron DeSantis is actually even more dangerous than Trump or whatever, the guy who is supposedly a unique threat to the republic. And it has already started. In fact, we've seen a few of those pieces coming out already. There's a person called Jennifer Rubin who used to at least purport to be a conservative writer who's at the Washington Post. She has long since abandoned conservatism and almost every single thing she ever said that she believed. She got fully into those resistant clicks and all the dopamine firing when she would get all that attention. So she's now a liberal Democrat, a dime a dozen over at the Washington Post. She wrote a piece in late October headlined, DeSantis is unimpressive outside the right-wing media bubble. Oh, see, it's just a weird little bubble that likes DeSantis, and otherwise he's just unimpressive. Well, then, of course, we saw what he did on election night. A shockingly impressive, history-making, 19-and-a-half-point victory with major coattails up and down the state of Florida. Well, Jennifer Rubin's new column in the Washington Post is headlined, Beware, DeSantis is as much a threat to America as Trump. And guess who tweeted out that article? Oh, it's our disgraced grifter friends over at the Lincoln Project, those very, very principled conservatives you see that are now just a Democratic super PAC effectively, where they are now moving part of their grift to oppose Ron DeSantis. It is, I think, quite telling. We should be paying attention to it, not because these are serious people who should be taken seriously, but they often let us know whom they fear And it's not terribly subtle, is it? We will continue watching that phenomenon because I think it's just heating up. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show is straight ahead. Former Vice President Mike Pence is here next. (laughs) 
It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It is the happy hour on this Tuesday on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for tuning in every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern. That final hour now, 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern, is our happy hour. And it's sponsored, as always, by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink, which I strongly recommend. It is delicious. It is refreshing. We are stocked for the holiday season at our house with Long Drink. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can find out where they're sold near you. They have really expanded all across the country, 40-plus states now. TheLongDrink.com. You can also order online if you so choose. Always drink responsibly, 21-plus only. GuyBensonShow.com is our online home here at the program. Lots of content there, including the free podcast every day on demand after the show is over. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And with that... Let's get to our final guest of today's show. Mike Pence served as the 48th vice president of the United States. He was governor of Indiana. He was a member of the House of Representatives from Indiana. And he is author of the new book, So Help Me, God. Mr. Vice President, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you so much, Guy. It's a great honor to be on. And and thanks, thanks for calling attention. I know you know what it's like to write a bestseller. Congratulations on end of discussion. But it's a great privilege for me to to write our story, and so help me God, and I appreciate the chance to chat with you about it. Well, we're happy to have you here, and I have to add to your bio, before all of those titles that you accumulated, you were a talk radio host, a conservative talk radio host based in Indiana. One of your famous taglines that you would use all the time was, I'm a conservative, but I'm not in a bad mood about it. Do you think there's too many conservatives these days who are sort of too grumpy about being on the right? Well, I, look, you're uh, look. I, I, I was in talk radio, never as big as you've arrived, but, um, but yeah, you know what? I, I do think the American people um, like happy warriors, <laughs> and uh, I think you look around these midterm elections. I think a lot of the people that won those elections, that a lot of the candidates that won us uh, that new Republican majority, were out there telling our story, holding the Biden Harris administration's failed policies accountable but uh, but but conveying that message you convey so well guy that uh, look we get back to the policies that we've been advancing in the conservative movement from Reagan to Trump uh, and we can turn this country around faster than you can imagine now I have to ask you a question be honest when you were a radio host and you were interviewing an author did you always read every page of every book I always read a page of the book <laughs> okay, same. So I have to confess, I got your book, my copy of So Help Me God, literally today. So I've only just started it. But as I am making my way through it, you have so much to say about your early life, your early career, a lot of very interesting vignettes out of your public service. Obviously, so much of the attention on the book tour and in interviews has been about the last six years and your time with President Trump, then just after the administration, and then perhaps a look toward the future. As you look back, broadly speaking, at your time as vice president and the Trump administration, would you say net-net that the Trump administration and the Trump presidency 
was a success? Unquestionably a success. Um, it obviously didn't end well, Guy, and I, I write candidly about that uh, and, uh, and, and speak about the, the reasons both both why and, and how I, I took the stand that I took on that tragic day in January. But, you know, So Help Me God has been called one of the most fulsome defenses of the Trump-Pence record that's in print to date. And, uh, and I'm honored by that. Look, I mean, think about what we accomplished in, in one term in an administration, the largest investment in our national defense, a new branch of our armed forces. Our military crushed the ISIS caliphate, took out the most dangerous terrorists in the world. At home, we cut taxes and regulation, unleashed American energy, created 7 million good-paying jobs, way, you know, unemployment at a 50-year low, wages rising at the fastest pace in a decade, uh, and we were energy independent. And we secured our border, reduced illegal immigration by 90 percent, appointed three Supreme Court justices and 300 conservatives to our court. I think the Trump-Pence administration accomplished more in three years than most administrations accomplished in eight. And I will always be proud of the record of the Trump-Pence administration. The reason I ask that, and you just ran through a lot of those achievements, is before we even get to January 6th, and I actually don't plan to really ask you about it because you've gotten thousands of questions, it seems, on that. You've written about it. My position on what happened that day is crystal clear. But because we all watched what happened on January 6th, we have to remember the reason that there was that uprising or that riot was there was an election just a few months prior. People didn't want to accept, in some cases, the outcome of that election, including the former president. But you guys lost that election and you just rattled off a really impressive list of accomplishments politically. And yet after just those four years, you lost And on the same day that your ticket lost to Biden and Harris, Republicans actually gained double-digit seats in the House of Representatives. Given the track record that you've laid out, why is it in your mind that a second term was not secured? Well, you know, I would leave that to experts like you, Guy. You know, I'm a a guy that's been in, in public service, and I've had the privilege to be a candidate as I Recounted, so help me God. My first few campaigns, we lost for Congress. I learned a lot of lessons uh, in my own life about making sure that I was living out my Christian faith in the way I, I carried myself in the public square. Ten years later, I had a chance to run again and, uh, and had the chance to serve as a conservative in the Congress, uh, serve as governor of Indiana, and then as your vice president. And uh, um, but all along the way, I, I, I've been a part of this movement that was really minted uh, with Ronald Reagan. And, uh, uh, and, and when I look at the, at the 2020 election, I, I just uh, I remember telling the president more than once when I'd returned from campaign rallies, even in the midst of COVID restrictions in many states, I said, I think the enthusiasm out there is greater now than it was in 2016. And we got 10 million more votes than we got. Uh, in 2016. But at the end of the day, uh, uh, after all the legal challenges played out, uh, we came up short. But I don't I don't think in any way uh, that it was a rejection of uh, the agenda. I don't think it was a rejection of our ideals and our values. I just think it, it tells us was that it? going forward. Well, I just look, I as I've said before, I think the American people long for leadership that could unite us. Uh, 
around our highest ideals, but also would bring the level of civility and respect that the American people show one another just about every day. You know, having been out of politics for two years, Guy, uh, traveling around the country, going to the grocery store near our house here at Indiana, I, you know, our politics are very divided, but I'm not convinced the American people are as divided as our politics are today. And as people will find out again around the Thanksgiving table, you can get some pretty diverse groups together and you still get along. And I, I, I honestly think one of the messages of that campaign is the American people would, would, would like to see leadership that's about all the things that we were about in the days ahead, but, but is looking for ways to, to bring our country together, fight for what you believe in, but, uh, but show the kind of respect that the American people show each other every day. Mr. Vice President, you know how this works. We're up on a break. We're going to take it real quick. More of this conversation with Mike Pence about his new book, So Help Me God, on the other side. It's The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. Welcome back. Thank you very much for listening to The Guy Benson Show on this Thanksgiving week. And I'm honored to have with us here talking about his new book, So Help Me God, the former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, and we'll pick up our conversation. Much has been made about your disagreements with President Trump over the election, of course, and the outcome, and then what happened on January 6th and the lead up to all of that, and then sort of this public breakup and what he was doing and tweeting on that day and then ever since, you know, some of the subsequent skirmishes and that kind of thing. But on policy substance, would you say that there's any daylight between you and former President Trump? Well, I got that question this summer at a, you know, I've been speaking at college campuses with Young America's Foundation, which is an outstanding group you're well aware of. Yep. I got a question just like that. And I said, look, I I think we have a difference in focus. Uh, We certainly are different men with different styles, but I I don't see any daylight in the policies. You know, and the foundation that I created earlier last year really laid out uh, all the policies that have defined the conservative movement from Ronald Reagan to Donald Trump. And, you know, Reagan was, as, as you know, and articulate uh, better than anybody, you know, he was strong national defense, limited government, traditional values. The Bushes both added to that and built on that. Uh, but then Donald Trump added, you know, border security and fair trade and standing up to China to our agenda. And I, I believe that's an agenda that that it won the Congress this year. I believe we're going to win back America on that same agenda uh, if we'll just carry forward with the kind of leadership that will bring the country together around those principles. So I do just want to ask you one follow-up then, and this is not intended as a gotcha or anything like that, but you said that there wasn't any daylight. President Trump made history and raised some eyebrows by coming out and endorsing effectively, saying that he is supportive of same-sex marriage. Obviously, that is not where you have been in the past. Has your thinking changed on that issue at all, or is there some daylight on that question? No, I think for me as a Bible-believing Christian, I'll always believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. Um, But the Supreme Court has ruled on that issue, and— you know, we can disagree with the Supreme Court, but we can't disobey it. And I will tell you that subsequent decisions that the court has made respecting religious freedom have been uh, very heartening to me. You know, in the Oberfeld decision, 
you know, Justice Kennedy actually wrote that the decision itself would raise profound questions around religious freedom. And the court's been sorting through that. And I think that's the most important thing as we go forward. I'm, I'm someone uh, uh, who truly does believe that uh, uh, I'm called as a, as a Christian to love my neighbor as myself. People that know the Pences, and you know the Pences, know that we, we, we aspire to that uh, in all of our dealings with people. But uh, my values may not change, but one of those values is, is always to treat everyone as I want to be treated. Yeah, and I mentioned this at the time. You were kind to invite me over to the vice presidential residence while you were vice president. We had dinner together with a handful of people, and we talked about some of these issues on same-sex marriage and gay rights and LGBT issues, and you were extremely uh, polite, and we had a cordial, I think, constructive conversation. I think some people find that hard to believe based on some of the ways that you were portrayed. I think a lot of that is unfair, uh, and I think it's important for me to say, hey, look, you know, we had this great conversation over dinner. I think that's important. I think it's also worthwhile and reasonable for me to at least say in the context of this discussion and the question that I asked, you mentioned Obergefell's the law of the land that you might disagree, but we're not going to disobey. Can you understand why there would be some concern among people like me who are in same-sex marriages uh, when there are people on the national stage who might argue that Obergefell should be overturned or that these types of unions should not be legal. What's your response to that when you hear that type of challenge? Well, you know, there's an entire chapter in my book about the experience we had in Indiana. and you, um, I'd, I'd love it if you read So Help Me God, Guy. And it was about our experience in the state of it. Thank you. It's our experience in the state of Indiana. In the run-up to the same-sex marriage decision, Indiana, like many other states, was passing Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The media pounced on it immediately, called it a I license remember. to discriminate, which, which legal experts even at the time said that it was it was nothing, nothing of the kind. Uh, but we weathered that storm in Indiana. We preserved uh, uh, the religious freedom of Hoosiers and their constitutional uh, rights. But you know, there was a Bible verse that really spoke to me. It's at the lead of that chapter. That is actually George Washington's favorite verse, which was that everyone might be able to sit under their own vine and their own fig tree and no one would make them afraid. You know, I think as as we go forward as Americans, uh, whether we agree or disagree on particular values, I think we ought to ever aspire uh, to show passion and respect to, to every American, whatever your beliefs, whatever your value systems, and, and that's how our family will always be. Yep, I think that's well said. And I did read some of the passages from that chapter, including, I think, Perhaps you could argue some of the two-faced posturing that we saw from a certain former mayor in your state of Indiana, who's now in the Biden cabinet, uh, who sort of treated you one way in private and you treated him that same way. And then for political reasons, tried to feed into certain uh, certain stereotypes and certain perceptions of you that I think, again, are not terribly fair in terms of who you are at your core and the way that you treat other people. I want to shift to something more immediate in our recent past. We're not quite through, actually, the 2022 elections yet. We still have a big runoff in Georgia. There are still votes being counted, believe it or not, in California. I wonder, as you look at what happened two weeks ago, is there something that really jumps out at you? You know, for me, it would be the Republicans' great success in Florida, for example, led by Governor Ron DeSantis. What do you think of DeSantis personally and as a leader? And are there any big takeaways that you have from the 2022 midterms? 
Well, people talk about there wasn't a red wave, but the truth is there was a red wave in in many states around the country and in many congressional districts. It just wasn't the national wave we were looking for. And you need look no further than uh, the reelection of Governor DeSantis, the reelection of Governor Kemp uh, in Georgia, Governor Abbott in Texas. These were decisive victories. In Governor Kemp's case, he was up against probably the most formidable Democrat in the country. Stacey Abrams raised $100 million and was being talked about as a candidate for president. Uh, and he defeated her handily in the fall. And, and my own favorite is that Lee Zeldin, who came up short in uh, the governor's race in New York, guy, he still brought with him, while he was not elected, he he elected four new Republicans, could well be the margin of the Republican majority, That's four right. new Republican congressmen from New York. And it was really an extraordinary campaign that he ran. So, But when I look at it, I honestly believe that the common denominator in 2022 is that candidates that were focused on the future, candidates were focused on the issues that the American people are struggling with, people here in Indiana are struggling with, which is, you know, 40-year high inflation, gas prices, crime in our major cities, and the West border crisis and a fentanyl crisis to boot that's, that's besetting our nation. People that focused on the future and on solutions to those challenges did well. But candidates that were focused on the past, particularly those that were focused on relitigating the last election, did not fare as well. And so uh, to me, as I said, when I campaigned for Governor Brian Kemp the night before his primary victory, which in many ways was uh, debated along the fault lines of this very distinction guy. Yep. I said the Republican Party must be the party of the future. And I think the midterm elections confirm that we focus on the future. We focus on that agenda that Trump Pence administration champion that you've been such a tremendous advocate for on the airwaves of America and in the Britain word. Uh, and we'll, we'll win back the Senate, we'll win back state houses, and uh, we'll win back America in 2024. Well, on the subject of 2024, now that you mention it, I have some questions. We'll get to those right after this with former Vice President Mike Pence on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. We continue here on The Guy Benson Show. It is the happy hour. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, every weekday. 5 to 6 hour is our happy hour, which is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Our website is GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is free shortly after the conclusion of every show. Totally no charge, on demand for all of you. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your free podcasts. We have with us here the former vice president of the United States under the Trump administration, Mike Pence. He is out with a new book, a memoir entitled So Help Me God. And Mr. Vice President, right before the break, you did invoke 2024. Speaking of that, I know that you've been asked many different ways if you're going to run for president in 2024. You've sort of hinted that you think that there will be better options out there in 24 for Republican voters in the primary compared to President Trump, who's already announced. If you want to make some huge news here, we would be delighted for you to do that. Uh, If not, let me ask you a different question, sort of a different way. As you consider the question, if you're considering it, what would a timeline and process look like for you 
on making a big decision like that. Yeah, that's fair. Well, first, let me say I'm always humbled to be asked. For heaven's sakes, I'm a, as you'll read in So Help Me God, I'm a small-town guy, southern Indiana, that grew up with a cornfield in my backyard. My, my dad ran gas stations for a living, and the idea that I had the opportunity to serve in Congress, to serve as governor of the state that I love, and serve as your vice president has been an incredible honor, let alone people asking me about about uh, the highest office in the land. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always honored to be asked. And, and let me just say, you know, for us, it, w- it will really come down to, uh, uh, you know, what what our hearts and our family and what we sense the American people would have us to do. I, years ago, guy, a, a, a mentor of mine said, there's two kinds of people in Washington, D.C., people that are driven and people that are called. And if you read So Help Me God, you'll, you'll, I was both. I mean, I, those early campaigns, I allowed my ambition to overrun my values and the standards that my faith requires of me in dealing with others. But ever since we were elected to Congress, we've always aspired to be called. Uh, you know, when we packed up our kids and sold our dream home and ran for Congress, spent all of our savings, you know, it was out of a deep sense of calling. Same with governor, same when we joined the national ticket, without hesitation. And so we're going to take some time over this Christmas. Our kids, we have two in the active duty military, so we haven't been together for three years. We'll all be home in Indiana together. We're going to spend some time talking to our kids. Karen and I will spend time in deliberation and prayer. We'll be talking to friends around the country. And I expect sometime after the turn of the year, we'll uh, we'll have a good sense of uh, where we might next contribute but okay uh, you know whether whether i'm a candidate or whether uh, uh i'm just uh one more voice like you in the cause i'm never going to stop fighting uh for the conservative agenda in this country and i do believe that that as we continue to all of us do our part that the best days for this country are yet to come well i think that's fair enough and i know we have thanksgiving coming up in just a few days the fact that you all will be back together as a family is I'm sure something that you are particularly thankful for this year. Uh, Mike Pence, former vice president of the United States, former governor of Indiana, former member of the House of Representatives. He is author of this brand new book, So Help Me God. And Mr. Vice President, we so appreciate your time here today and a very happy Thanksgiving to you and Karen and your entire family from us. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you, Guy, and to your family and to all of your great listeners it is uh we have so much to be thankful for even in challenging times and i wish you every continued success well blessings to you thank you very much former vice president mike pence on the guy benson show where our online home is guy podcast free every single day guy foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast if you missed any of that conversation that we just had with former vice president Mike Pence. When we come back, it's the home stretch. Should be an interesting one because producer Christine is once again aggrieved with her mother, Judgy Joyce. Why is this? I will sit back. I will play mediator, perhaps. I'll offer some advice. We'll see what the problem seems to be with producer Christine when we come back right after this break. Fresh conservative talk. Kai Benson Show. Home stretch. 
here two days before Thanksgiving on The Guy Benson Show. I'm a very excited person because I'm such a Thanksgiving fan, as you're aware. And one thing that I give thanks for every year, these last few years, is our free podcast, which I hear about so often from so many of you who check it out on demand every day, no charge. We do appreciate that. GuyBensonShow.com, our online source for all of our content, including that podcast. Tune in tonight. I'll be on Special Report with Brett Bayer on the panel right around 6.45 Eastern Time. That's on Fox News Channel. And at least for now, you never know with live TV, but I'm scheduled to be on America's Newsroom in the morning, sometime in the 9 a.m. Eastern hour, with Bill and Dana, or whoever's filling in, on America's Newsroom, also on Fox News Channel. So hope to see you this evening and again tomorrow on the tube. Meanwhile, here at the show, producer Christine has a bone to pick again with her mother, Judgey Joyce. And I've sort of been partially briefed on what happened, but I haven't gotten all the details exactly. So, Christine, you are miffed with mom. And you recently have been in the process of breaking up with your therapist because he no longer takes your insurance, so it's too expensive. So I am once again thrust into the role of unlicensed, uncompensated, and sometimes unwilling therapist for you. And it seems like this is something that we can work through together. So please explain what has happened here. Okay, let me paint you a little picture. Uh, Let's flash back to Thanksgiving of 2021. Uh, Christine and Bobby hosted. It was our final Thanksgiving in the home. We had just announced that we were selling the house and we wanted one big last hurrah. So Bobby's family comes from Boston. My family comes from Philadelphia, Long Island, New Jersey. We have a nice Thanksgiving. But the one thing that we had told everybody before they sat down for the bird was there was going to be no bird. We were doing right. We were doing a prime rib instead of turkey. I believed we talked about this a lot. We did. I had forgotten, Christine, there are so many things that I (laughs) – they they come in and out of my mind. I had forgotten this one. You hosted Thanksgiving and did not offer turkey on Thanksgiving as an alleged American in the United States of America. And you instead created some sort of delicious roast beast, which is fine – but not even a turkey offering on Thanksgiving. This nope. is all coming back to me now. And I was, of course, strongly opposed to this plan. It was sacrilegious, frankly, for this secular American holiday. And yet you decided to move forward with that, I think, ill-advised decision anyway, as you so often do, despite my good advice. Okay, so then what was, like, the reaction? So nobody really said much to us. And my in-laws loved it. Like, they were so gung home. My mother... I should have known better because sometimes my mom, usually my mom voices her opinion and she lets everybody know, but sometimes she holds back. I should have known when she was like really silent on this, that this was actually a problem. So Mm -hmm. flash forward to this year, we are now in an apartment, so we cannot host Thanksgiving, you know, for like 15, 20 people. So my mother is hosting and my in-laws again are coming down. Family from Long Island, family from Pennsylvania, you know, the whole crew. Now, my mother, my sister must have taught her recently how to use group texting because my mom did not know how to do any of this. She's kind of like me with the technology. Yeah, I can Um, see where that comes from. (laughs) So my sister... Does she have a remote control on her television or does she still get up and like literally change the channel manually? 
So her remote, actually, it's funny you say that because we went to visit her on Saturday night and we were trying to watch Home Alone. And I said, Mom, I can't hear the TV. And she like, gets up and she's like, yeah, I don't know where the volume button is. And my husband's like, Joyce, it's on the remote. The remote wasn't working and she, she couldn't figure it out. Mm. So now, thank God, hopefully she's not listening. We're going to get her a nice TV for Christmas. But like anyway. Mother like daughter. Yes. Okay. <laughs> got it. So, okay. Continue with the story. She's going to be hosting. She's going to be hosting. So now my sister must have taught her recently how to, you know, like, you know, like you have family group chats on your, yeah, you know, we have a, we have a group chat. So my mom decided, <laughs> I don't think she understood like group chat, uh, as opposed to like an email or evite. So she puts, I don't know how many people on this, uh, text message, everybody that's invited to Thanksgiving dinner. And she's like, hi everyone. You know, <laughs> she writes, this is Joyce. It's like, Okay. <laughs> We know who you are. You're our family. And she's like, um, you know, we're look I'm looking forward to hosting. Please arrive at two PM. You all have been given like what to bring. And then she wrote in parentheses to everybody, and don't worry, this year there'll be a proper turkey. <laughs> yes. Yes. See, I don't think that she didn't know what she was doing. I think she knew full well that she was publicly shaming you to everyone involved. By saying we're going to have a turkey because it's freaking Thanksgiving in the United States. We're going to have that offering at our house this year. Don't you worry. I think that was a very clear, not even like a subtle jab. That was a roundhouse for all the attendees to see. And I am absolutely on board. I am so upset. My husband and I, you know, Bobby, he doesn't really care that much. But he knew I was going to be mad. So he called me. He's like, oh, no. Did Judgy just ruin your Thanksgiving? And I'm, I actually have no, not said. No, no, she, she has, no, she has improved Thanksgiving. She has saved Thanksgiving, unlike last year, by having an actual Thanksgiving meal. She hasn't ruined anything. She has restored order to what Thanksgiving ought to be. She's doing a great service to everyone. Don't you think that's a? I'm her daughter. Like, don't you think that's a little mean? I mean, I don't know if you know no. this about me, guy, but I tend to be sometimes a little sensitive. If you're sensitive and you're having a bunch of people come to your house for Thanksgiving, you at least provide them with turkey or brace for the backlash. And you're getting the backlash. It took a year. Obviously, a lot of people were sort of stewing on this for a year, perhaps listening to the show, listening to me being right about this. And they decided that when the timing was right, unlike a delicious roast turkey, revenge is a dish best served cold. And a full year later, you got I think what was coming to you from Judgy Joyce, who's just a plain spoken Jersey gal. Well, and the, one more thing. She calls okay. my husband because she's <laughs> doling out like what to tell everybody to bring. So she calls my husband because Bobby's a really good cook. And she's like, oh, Bobby, like, could you just make two sides? You know, maybe like your cream corn casserole and green bean casserole, which I can't stand green bean casserole. So I'm trying to oh, convince Bobby wrong not again, to make it. Wrong again. It's the most important side dish at Thanksgiving and my favorite. You know, you know what's so funny? I am like the one person. I don't like those crunchies on top. You know the ones They're that are essential. Can? The oh, whole thing is essential. I, the green beans, know. the cream and mushroom soup, the little crunchy onion things on top. It is the mm -hmm. most delicious thing. I eat those as leftovers for like a week and a half so enthusiastically. Mm -mm, I don't like I'm trying to convince him to make some sort of like really good homemade mac and cheese. But no. I know my mother no, no. did not go like she's not going to go for that. She made a request, unless you want an even more like, you know, blow up on your phone with some subtexts or subtweets, if you will, in the group text. She has made her correct 
request very clear, and I think you should go along with that because other people, including your mother, obviously, have much better taste in these things than you. So no persuading Bobby to go off script again. You did that last year. There was obviously a, a big problem that brewed that no for a year. Us. No one said a word. And on top of this, well, I asked someone my mother, finally did. I mean, I said on. many words. Let the record reflect that I said many words on this show about the necessity of Turkey. Obviously, people disagreed, namely you. Many others agreed, including your mother. And I guarantee you she's speaking for others here. Like the don't worry thing is not really directed so much at you as it is at everyone else who wanted a proper turkey at their Thanksgiving meal. So she she clung on to that disappointment. And I'm saying I think that it was a mistake We can all move past last year's mistake, but don't compound the mistake by taking your incorrect opinion on green bean casserole and imposing it on the dinner party for Thanksgiving, because that is a must-have, in my opinion. And Wyatt is nodding along, by the way, on that as well. So we're just saying, Christine, like let bygones (laughs) be bygones. Don't make the problem worse. That's what I tend to do. That's, why do you think I'm in therapy? That's yeah, what I, I do. Know, I, but I, I'm trying once again to help. I'm trying to help avoid making problems worse because it's one day. This is the other thing that drives me crazy sometimes about folks who want to get totally weird and outside the box on their Thanksgiving dinner. If you don't like the traditional Thanksgiving feast, you have 364 days a year to cook anything else. Your roast beef or whatever it was, your mac and cheese. I know mac and cheese is a big part of Thanksgiving for a lot of people, especially in the South. But you can go rogue and be super creative whenever you want. You can even do a Thanksgiving meal tweaked in the middle of March for some reason if you want to. But as a traditionalist, especially around this holiday, for the love of God, just leave the traditional feast alone It is perfect for one day a year, and if it's not your favorite, you can suck it up for one day and let the rest of us actually enjoy it. Does that make sense? I guess so. Uh, I'll try. I'll think about it a little more. But, you know, also, I called her and said, Mom, what can I make? You asked Bobby to make things. Do you want me to bake something? Do you want me to cook something? And she goes, oh, I don't know, Chris. Just roll up some hot dogs and bring them. (laughs) That's all she thinks I can handle. Like like pigs in a blanket? Yes. I mean, those are good, and someone has to make them. You can just buy the frozen ones probably and heat them up in the oven. You can be like, look what I did, Ma. And then she'll be proud of you, and she'll have a turkey this time, so everything will be fine. You can also make Cosmos. How about that? She doesn't drink, but I do. Oh, that's right. Oh, don't worry. There'll There'll be plenty, plenty of booze there. So what is your favorite side dish for Thanksgiving? Because I was tweeting a little bit about this last night, and I know you saw my preferences. We know your incorrect opinions already. Can you maybe redeem yourself a little bit with this answer, your favorite Thanksgiving dish? And follow-up question, if you had to choose either gravy or cranberry sauce, you could only have one, which one would you choose? Oh, I'd probably – oh, no, you can't – I guess gravy because if I'm gonna have to have the turkey, I gotta pour a lot of gravy on it. Mm. So I guess gravy I'll is take... a. Def- I, I would probably say cranberry sauce, but especially our homemade version of it. But gravy is a defensible answer here. I'll allow it. And then your favorite side? 
I would say stuffing would probably have to be my favorite side. My grandparents made like the Italian stuffing, like with like sausage in it and stuff. Oh, mm, it was delicious. That's, good. No, that's really oh, good. So okay, that's good. a that's a good answer. I probably have a different answer. I mean, you know, green bean casserole is at the very top for me. Wyatt, do you have a favorite side dish? Yes, green bean casserole. Green bean casserole, excellent, Wyatt. Well done as usual. Dan, what about you? Mashed potatoes all the way. Mashed potatoes and gravy yeah. and peas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, pe- oh, peas. Yeah, you make a little volcano, like a little hole in the mashed potatoes, and you put the peas in, and then you put the gravy like lava. We have a six-year-old running the board here at the Guy Benson <laughs> Show, apparently. We, we just discovered that. But mashed potatoes, also very solid. But the good news is you don't need to have just one. You don't need to have just a favorite. To me, it's the whole thing. The whole thing. And it's Thursday. It's so soon. And then we can finally start talking about Christmas eventually. Not just yet. Catch me tonight. Special report. Tomorrow, America's Newsroom. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.